Today I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you as well. I'm going to give you the good news first. I think that's how we're supposed to do it. Uh, the good news is this. These are the last days. We are living in the last days. Now, I'll just tell you, these are the days right before Jesus comes again to receive his church as foretold to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are the days right up against the day that there will be the voice of an archangel, there will be the blast of a trumpet, and Jesus, the King of kings, will come in great glory, the Bible says, in the air. Those that have died in Christ, they're going to come with him, and we that remain, we're going to meet them in the air. The Bible says, and we shall on that day be with the Lord. Now, friends, I want you to be sure this morning, that's what the Bible says. Uh, that is not some superstition. That's not some allegorical picture that we paint to represent something else. The Bible tells us we are very soon to meet Jesus. Good news today, these are the last days. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? I was talking to somebody on the phone this week and they said, don't tell me about the last days. I'm tired of hearing about everything. These are the last days. And I'm not sure we're really understanding. Very, very shortly, we're going to meet Jesus. Good news today, these are the last days. Now, I'm going to tell you the bad news this morning. I promise to give you both. And the bad news is this. These are the last days. The Bible says, and in these days that evil will be called good and good will be called evil. In these days, evil will escalate and people are going to be lovers of self and lovers of money. They're going to be boastful and they're going to be arrogant. They're going to be unholy and unloving. The Bible says in these days, it's going to be marked by people that are malicious gossips, that they are brutal, that they're actually haters of all things good. They are going to deny the power of God. Through these days, we're going to walk through much trouble. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says difficult times will come. And friends, I want you to be sure that is also the truth. That is also the teaching of the Bible. Do you believe that? Do you understand that as well? Here's the, here's the fact of the matter. Today in the church, we had better be getting ready. There's no time to do business as usual. We had better be getting ready. Today in the church, it is imperative that we would know what to do in these days, that we would know what to expect in these days. Now, that would just make sense. If we're very shortly going to see Jesus, as we go through these days, we're going to go through tough times, it would only make sense that we would need to be informed in the church, that we need to be prepared in the church. Well, very fitting today as we move through the book of Acts, and I've said all along, God is training us in these days by looking at the church of the early days. Well, very fitting today, God is instructing us this morning, and I think we're going to see some very important things for us to take away in our study. We do well to listen this morning. Today, our message is entitled, Lessons for Last Days Living. Today, evidently, the, the sermon is brought to you by the letter L. Lessons for last days 
living. It's in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stay with me in the honor of the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse, the first verse, says this. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and again, we, we come in great humility. We come understanding that we are sinners. We come understanding that we, apart from the grace of our Savior Jesus, have earned nothing, deserve nothing. But we also come and we see how kind you are, how gracious you are. You are, how powerful you are to save. And so we praise you today. Lord, we, we come and I pray now as we exist in these days, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would take hope that soon we will see our Savior Jesus. But I also know there's work to be done. I also know that in these days you tell us there are gonna be difficult times. And I pray that you would prepare your church, this church, for what you have for us in these days. I pray we'd be faithful. I pray we'd be useful, and I pray you'd be glorified in the process. Lord, I pray for somebody in this service that perhaps does not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. We ask that you move in our hearts. We ask that you move in our midst, and our desires that you be glorified here today. We love you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, to understand what's happening here, we really have to go back and, and pick up the entire context of where we're at by the time we get to chapter 15. For, for context, be sure and understand, the church has started. We start in Acts chapter 1. Uh, the church has started. The church has been empowered 
by the Holy Spirit of God, and the gospel is preached in Jerusalem. The gospel is preached in Judea. And many, the Bible says, are saved. Many are hearing of our gracious Savior, and they are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in that, there are some that are opposed to the truth, and they persecute the church. In fact, it is an intense persecution that breaks out against the church. Well, because of that persecution, the believers are pushed out of Jerusalem. They're pushed out of the edges of Judea. And we see in the, in the process, the gospel has spread. And so they are pushed out of this area. And instead of going silent, they go to a new area and they proclaim the good news of our Savior, Jesus. Well, one of those places that the good news has taken root is in Antioch. We read the account. The gospel is preached there. People are saved there, and the church begins as folks are saved, and the church continues to grow as the gospel is preached. Well, out of that church there in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. God directs it. The church encourages it and sends them out. And they go on a great gospel preaching journey. Now, the result is the same as it was in Jerusalem. A great number of folks are saved. They hear the good news. Churches are started. But at the same time, there is persecution always against the spread of the gospel. Well, this church there in Antioch, it is growing. And as we go through the region, God is moving and Jesus is known. And it is an awesome time for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in the midst of that, we come to chapter 15. Good things are happening. The gospel is preached. A great report is going out. And then at that point, we come to chapter 15. And that's where we're going to start today. The first thing we're going to see in our verses today is the first lesson for last day's living. Now, we're going to look at the verses. We're going to break down the verses but we're going to pull out some things that we need to take note of in the days that we're living in right now. So the first thing we're going to see, the first lesson in last day's living is this. Be sure Satan attacks where God is working. That's the first truth. Satan attacks where God is working. Now, I want you to think about that. Satan also has a pressing agenda. Satan also knows that time is growing short. And so he is strategic in what he does. He is wise in what he does. And Satan attacks where God is working. Let me read that first verse. So men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be Save. Now, see this, the very first thing. God is doing a wonderful thing. The Gentiles are being saved. The good news of forgiveness through Jesus Christ is spreading. A lost world is finding hope and peace and joy is abounding. And then it says this, and then some men came down. It was actually an elevation drop. Now, they're heading north, but it's actually an elevation drop. And they actually come down out of Jerusalem. They travel down out of Judea, and they make their way to Antioch. 
Today, I want us to be very sure this morning. You can expect it. Satan attacks where God works, and Satan attacks who God is working through. And that's the first thing that we see here. God is moving, and all of a sudden, these guys show up. Satan attacks where God is working. Now, the second lesson that we see in last day's living, and we need to be sure of this. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Pay close attention. The second lesson is this. Satan attacks, listen very carefully, by attacking the truth. Satan attacks, the primary way that he attacks, his, his, his greatest tool, his greatest weapon, Satan attacks by attacking the truth. Now, we ought not be surprised by that. That's what he's always done. That's what he did all the way back to the garden. He comes along and he attacks the truth of God's word. He attacks the truth. Now, let me read the first verse again. So men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so we see here in the first verse, they come and they start teaching these Christians, this church, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you're not saved. You cannot be saved. Now, there's something to point out here, something to see in that first verse. Notice these men, I want you to see this, are not believers, These men are not believers. They are false teachers. Now, there's a couple ways, but you might say, well, how do you know that? Well, I want you to see here, they come down and they're teaching to be saved, you have to be circumcised. That is not the truth of the gospel. That's not the truth of the gospel that we're saved by. And so they're teaching this and it is a lie. Understand, they do not know how to be saved And just go with me very simple in logic. And if you don't know how to be saved, guess what? You're not saved. Folks come along and they say, well, here's this gospel. And it's not the true gospel. And some of it's similar. Some of it sounds okay. But it's not the true gospel. Listen, if you do not know how to be saved, you are not saved. And so we need to understand these men here of the first verse We need to call them what they are. They are agents of Satan. They are ambassadors of lies. They are proponents of darkness. And here's what I want you to understand. And like all false teachers, they are leading people to miss Jesus. Man, this is hard. Man, it's it's tough to say, well, they're an agent of Satan. It's tough to say these are agents of, of evil, of lies. But I want you to see this. A false teacher, their ultimate result is they cause people to miss Jesus. We need to understand they're not neutral. They're not benevolent but somehow misled. They're actually agents of Satan causing people to miss Jesus. Jesus warns us of them. Peter warns us of them. Paul warns us of them. And now here they are. Today we better be sure. And I, and I just, man, in these days that we're living in, we better be certain 
that just because somebody holds a Bible or just because somebody teaches something that sounds religious, just because somebody has a pulpit and, and has a following doesn't mean they are a teacher of the truth. Be sure of that. Just because they have a pulpit and a following, just because they're speaking words and there's a crowd, does not mean they're teachers of the truth. Here in these verses, we see they come to the church and they attach to the church, and by the preaching of non-truth, they attack the church. Today, Satan has launched an all-out attack against the Word of God. And I, and I don't know if we're asleep. I don't know if we, just, we have maybe better hopes for everybody, and we think, well, maybe that's not that dire. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. But Satan has launched an all-out attack on the Word of God. Today, it is denied. It is distorted. It is discouraged. It is despaired. The word of God is hated today. Well, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. That's not how it works. The word of God is hated today. You don't believe me? Go today and tell the world there are two genders, and they're set by God, and watch what happens to you. Go today and tell the world that God's word is truth and it's the only truth. You go and say that today and watch what happens to you. Go today and say there is salvation alone in Jesus Christ. There is no other hope of mankind. He's the only name by which any man will ever be saved. You go and profess salvation in Christ alone and watch what happens to you today. The world hates the word of God. I was watching this week, somebody evidently moved into our town and they put on Facebook, somebody tell me a good church to go to. And folks started bragging on different churches and telling about the church they attend. And somebody, a couple different folks actually said, the church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And somebody said they have good programs for your kids. You know what, everybody just goes along and moves along and I don't try to say too much on Facebook. I didn't say anything on there. That's probably wise for all of us. Listen to that. But do you know what they want to do to those kids? They want them to miss Jesus. Oh, they're conservative and they're like us and they're good people and we, we seem to like them in our community. Listen, they're agents of Satan and they want to take those kids and they want to take those families and they want to lead them away from our Savior Jesus. They're ambassadors of lie and a Mormon will not be in heaven. If they are, they were not a Mormon. One example. There is an attack today against the word of God. Satan is going to attack the truth. These guys show up and they say, you know what, the, the, the world that we came out of, you know what, the things you've heard in the past, you must be circumcised to be saved. And they preach a lie to the church. All right, verse two. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate, I want to look at those two words in a second, with them, the brethren, the believers, the, the church there in Antioch determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others, Titus goes with them, should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Now that leads us to the third lesson for living in end times. 
Last days, here, here's the third lesson, and we need to be sure of it. You cannot compromise with a false gospel. Hear that. You cannot compromise with a false gospel. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Very important thing that we need to hear in this day. Today, there is a drumbeat, and it is pounding, and it is getting louder and it is sounding the idea today that all belief sets are the same. And if I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times, they're all just routes to the same place. All belief sets are the same. And there's the idea today that any truth is acceptable, and it may be your truth or somebody else's truth, but any idea of the truth, it is acceptable. And more than any previous day, I believe on earth, with the, the concept of political correctness, with the ideal today that's tossed around of tolerance, we are told today there are many versions of the gospel and they're really just all versions of the same thing. And so they're all acceptable. I want you to hear me this morning. Be sure in these last days, that is a lie. You cannot compromise with a false gospel. Let me tell you why. Because there's only hope in the true gospel. There's only peace and reconciliation with God in the true gospel. Well, what about these other things? What are they offering? I don't know what they're offering, but it's not peace with God. There's only the saving power of God in the proclamation of the true gospel. Verse two says that Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and great debate with them. Here's what they did. You go look up the original meaning for those two words. They fought for the gospel. They argued the truth of the gospel. No, that's not true. No, that's not what God has said. And they fought for the truth of the gospel. Watch today. Today we are told that it is unloving to disagree. And I, I watch the culture we live in. The, the worst thing you can be, evidently in our culture, is unloving. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. The worst thing you could be is unloving. And so our world says to point out that this is not the truth, that this is not the Bible, that this is not the gospel, is a cruel thing. That is a harsh thing. That is an unloving thing. We need to hammer this out right here. Be very clear. In these days until Jesus comes, from now on until Jesus comes, I want you to be certain of this. The most loving thing that you could ever do is to lead people to the truth of Jesus Christ. The most loving thing that you could do, even if it costs you, even if it costs you your business, even if it costs you your friendships, your relationships, even if it is hated by this world, even if they dispatch a crew to come and arrest us, even if it's rejected and deemed as hate speech, the most loving thing that you could ever do is to declare there is a Savior and he loves you and his grace is extended to you and his name is Jesus and here is his truth. Most loving thing you could do is preach Jesus. 
So the church there in Antioch says, go up to Jerusalem, go to the apostles there, the church there, and settle this matter. All right, verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they're making their way back to Jerusalem, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria. Now, I don't know, I'll tell you about this. Describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. They're impressed with what's happened. They're impressed with what God is doing. And so they say, we've got this crazy issue. Let's go, let's go settle it. But they can't stop talking about what God has done on the way to go settle it. They travel through the area, and they're talking in the area about what God has done. They're describing in great detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and we're bringing great joy to all the brethren. I want to point out one quick thing here in the third verse. Notice they're telling them how God is working. Notice how they're talking about all of these people are getting saved. A few of them are Jewish. Most of them are Gentiles. They haven't had any hope, and now they've got hope. They found the forgiveness of sin in Jesus, and they're, they're telling the good news of what's happening. And verse 3 says, and there was great joy in all the brethren. Here's, here's just something, and it's just a side shot I'm going to take. We ought to be very excited. We ought to be very glad when any person gets saved. Did you know the hope for Muslims is Jesus Christ? Did you know the hope for any person, the person you disagree with most, the person that's hurt you most? The, the hope for any person, the great hope, is Jesus Christ. And we ought to be excited. We ought to be filled with joy when a person gets saved. The greatest hope of any person is Jesus, and we should celebrate when a person gets saved. All right, verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Now, they don't say we did it. We, we had that. They're talking about God worked. They were obedient. They were faithful. God worked through them. They reported all that God had done with them. Verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed stood up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, I want to point out, I want you to be sure, these men here in verse 5, notice they are different from the men of verse 1. Where those men were not believers, it says here that these had believed. These were Christians. These were believers. Now, it says they were former Pharisees. They were from the sect of the Pharisees, but they had believed the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are saved, yet they are saying of the Gentile converts, it is now necessary to circumcise them. It is necessary for them to observe the commands of Moses. Now, not for salvation, but as believers. Notice that first group, they didn't know Christ, they were lost, and they came and said, unless you do this, you can't be saved. It was a matter of salvation. Well, this group, they're followers of Christ. They are saved, and they're not saying as a part of salvation, but rather as a part of Christian life. Now, here's the thing about these guys. They can't imagine following God and not following the Old Testament teachings of the law, the Old Testament law. 
And so they say that we can't imagine that you could follow God, that you could be pious and holy before God and not be circumcised and not follow the law of Moses. Here's what I want you to see. What they needed was more of the truth. Now, they knew how to be saved because the Bible says they were saved, but they are misled on Christian life. You see, it is a process. When you trust Jesus Christ, you have to know the, the, the reason you're embracing him. You have to know that you're a sinner. You have to know that he is the remedy for sin. You have to know the, the, the ins and outs of Christ as the Messiah. They had that much truth, but they did not have the truth on Christian life. And, and so what they needed was more truth. They needed to see in Galatians what Paul says, that you're not saved by the law, and so you're not kept saved by keeping the law. They needed more truth. All right, verse six. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. They say they're concerned. They decide to meet and come together. Verse seven. Peter's about to get up. Now this is gonna lead us to our last point today. Our fourth point, our last lesson for end days living that we're gonna get out of these verses. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, here's, here's the fourth truth. The fourth truth is this, and we need to be sure of it. We must be prepared to defend and to explain what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say, you know what, my church has that figured out. My pastor has that figured out. I'm not sure what that all means. We must be prepared in these last days to defend and to explain what it is that we believe. Now, let me just ask you some questions. Can you tell somebody how to be saved? What if somebody ran into you and they're looking for hope and they're looking for answers and they see, you know what, I, I believe you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Could you tell them what it is to be saved? Could you tell them how to be saved? Could you tell them what they're being saved from? Could you tell them what is included in salvation? What if they say, what about baptism? Well, there's a church that says you have to be baptized, several of them. What if they tell you these verses here seem to say that? Could you tell them what is included in salvation? Could you tell them why it matters, why we must have a correct understanding? Let me read verse seven again. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth and the, the, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, verse 7 is talking about Acts chapter 10. Remember when we studied that, Peter has a vision. He is to go to Cornelius. God is confirming there in the events of chapter 10 that his plan is for all people to hear the gospel. His plan is that all nations will be blessed through Christ the Messiah. His plan is for all people to hear and to be saved. Verses eight and nine. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. Verse nine. And he made no distinction 
between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, remember with me the confirming evidence in chapter 10, the confirming evidence that the Gentiles had been saved was that when they had heard the gospel and when they had received the gospel by faith and when they were saved by trusting Jesus in faith, they received the Holy Spirit of God. That was the confirming evidence. Just like the Jews did when they heard and they believed and they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit. Well, in the same way, when the Gentiles hear the gospel and believe in it, they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter points out here, how are you gonna argue with that? He points out here, God has made no distinction. When we were saved, we received the Holy Spirit. When they are saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. We cannot make a distinction God has not made. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of a disciple a yoke which is neither our fathers nor we have been able, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He says to them, if works never saved us, if works, deeds, duties, religious ceremonies never changed our hearts, if we failed to keep the law of Moses, why would we go and put the burden on them? Verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are, as they also are. Verse 11. But we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Here's the issue. The issue really is this. What must a person do to be saved? A male, a female, a Gentile, a Jew. What must a person do to be saved according to God? What must a person do to be saved? That was their dilemma. That's where the false teachers entered in. That's where we find peace and hope in the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. What must a person do to be saved? I'm gonna show you from just these verses. It's pretty interesting. Sometimes you can find the gospel in just a couple of verses. I'm gonna show you in just these verses the answer to that question. I want you to stay with me. I want you to listen very, very carefully. First thing is this, stay with me. What does it mean to be saved? What does it include to be saved? Why does it matter? Listen very carefully. First thing is this. We are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's what verse 11 says. We are saved. We need to know that. We're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, not because we're of the right nationality, not because we're somehow impressive to God, not because we earn it, not because we do something or do some things, not because we stop something or stop some things. We are saved because God is gracious to sinners. We are saved because God is merciful to us and he shows us his grace through the person of Jesus Christ. To say any different is to steal God's glory. To, to, to say any different is to change God's character. 
To say any different is to change our gospel and is a lie. Oh, praise the Lord for the grace of God shown to sinners. Listen, more than that, praise the Lord that our holy God is gracious. We're saved to the grace of the Lord Jesus. Same as anyone. Verse 11 says that. Second thing we need to know is this. We're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, same as anyone. Second thing is this. We are saved, now this is important, when we hear the gospel. You are saved, your ability to be saved happens when you hear the gospel. At the end of verse 7, it says that they, the Gentiles, would hear the word of the gospel. Now, I want you to get this. This is a big deal in our day. You can only be saved by hearing the truth of the gospel. You can go out and see God in nature. You can go out and see marvelous things. You can go and sit in a tent and stare up at the sun of all that you want, but you can only be saved in the hearing of the gospel. You can only be saved in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why there's an attack on the gospel. That's why we want to change the person of Jesus. That's why we want to say all routes are the same. That's why we want to silence the gospel preachers. You can only be saved in hearing the truth of Jesus. And that truth is this. We are sinners, dead and condemned in our sin. That truth is that Jesus is our Savior. He is the perfect Lamb of God who carries our sin, carries our guilt, and settles it on the cross of Calvary. That truth is he is risen from the dead and he's standing with the receipt of our redemption in great victory. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He stands as the risen Savior. And listen, you can only be saved if you hear that gospel. That is why we defend it. Why do you think Paul got riled up? He could have said, it's fine it's fine, we're all brethren, it's fine, it's better just to get along. He had great dissension. That is why we defend it. That is why we proclaim it. That is why it can't be changed one little bit. That is why it must not be silenced. Faith comes by hearing, Paul says, and hearing the word of Christ. Last part, first thing you're saved by the grace of God, the grace of Jesus. Second thing, you're saved in the hearing of the gospel. Third thing is this. You are saved, we are saved by receiving it, the gospel, the truth of Jesus in faith. We're saved by receiving it in faith. Look at this. Verse seven says, they heard the gospel and believed. Now here's something even better. Verse nine says this. And their hearts were cleansed. We need a new heart. We need the forgiveness of sin. It says their hearts were cleansed, not by sacrifice, not by circumcision, not by keeping the laws of Moses. It says this, and their hearts were cleansed by faith. 
Friends, be very sure today, that is how we're saved. We're saved by the grace of God, not because I'm good, not because you're good, not because we earned it, not because he owes us anything. We're saved because he is gracious and his character is merciful to us as sinners. We're saved not of any work of man, lest we would start to boast. We're saved in the finished work of Jesus, dying on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and we're saved when we bow a knee and we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I I appeal to you and I trust you as Savior. Dear church, listen, that is the message of the last days. That is the light that must shine in these days. There is hope still in Jesus. And as troubled as these days are, as hard as they may yet get, as evil seems to dominate, the good news is there is a God and he loves you and his grace is offered to you and his son Jesus and by faith in him, we are saved. That is the message of the church. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message to be proclaimed in the end days. What are we gonna do? Good grief, I watch more crazy things on the news. Can't imagine the things that happened this week. Can't imagine. What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell a world as it slides to its doom, as it marches headlong in rebellion away from God, we're going to tell them, there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for this message. I'm thankful for these verses. I'm thankful for this truth. I'm thankful for myself as a sinner that you are merciful and kind and gracious. I'm thankful that you did what I could never do. Thankful that you wanted me, that you didn't write me off. I'm thankful for your love. That's unimaginable, and I praise you. Lord, I'm thankful for salvation by faith through grace. Lord, I pray that we would proclaim it. I pray that we would shout it. I pray for some here sitting, stewing in the, in the non-peace of this world. I pray that they would find this, this truth, this peace, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we come and we just truly praise you. We ask for power to spread the gospel. We ask for opportunities to spread the good news. We ask for strength to endure. We ask for opportunities when the world shrinks and goes a different way. And most of all, Lord, our desire is that the Savior that went to that cross, that he would be known and glorified. Lord, help us in that. Lord, I pray as we conclude our service that you have spoken. I believe you have. I pray now that you continue to speak. I pray as there's some here that, needs to, that need to make decisions today, I pray that you'd move in their hearts. Pray that there would be a removal of anything that would hinder. Pray that you would have full fruit of what, what your gospel, your, your, your truth has provided. And I pray that you would move in this invitation. Lord, we give it to you, we trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.